You are listening to the Jewel City Podcast. In this podcast, we are coming together for Autumn Revival 2021. Our special guest today is Pastor Dave Marsh from Crossroads Church. <laughs> hey man, you may be seated. We can go home now. We don't need a preacher. Huh? Ma, ma, ma. God is moving tonight. Come, preacher. Come on. Pastor Dave Marsh from Crossroads, my closest dear friend in ministry. Preach the word, brother. Amen. I was here one night, but I watched all the messages, I think, except one I missed. I watched Pastor Darren Powell last night. Powerful. Powerful messages. He cried a lot. I even told my son today, I never heard him preach before. I told my son, I said, you know, he cried a lot. <laughs> And I thought I was going to be okay. And I'm standing right there, and Lindsay started singing that song about the train of his temple. And I started bawling like a baby. <laughs> there must be a crying anointing <laughs> on this revival. Has anyone else shed any tears this week? <laughs> I, I think tears can be some good things. And I'm telling you, I sit here and I'm, I'm thinking about the goodness of God. First time I was ever at Jewel City Church, the power team. Remember that? Remember that? So tonight I brought some phone books. I'm going to rip them. I uh, know. I ain't going to do that. First time I was ever at Jewel City Church, I, the power team was here. And was, in, of course, in the old, old building. But I've told this story many, many years ago. Probably some of you weren't here, but at one point in my life, the closest I ever got to Jewel City Church is, I'm going to be careful with my words, but there was a little club right beside Jewel City Church. Had poles in it. I was so far away from God. They weren't doing what they normally do that night at that club. So they brought a band in. It was my band. I drove past the driveway to Jewel City Church to play music on a catwalk, never dreaming that one day I'd be standing, not on a catwalk, but behind a pulpit that rolls <laughs> and be able to share the word of God. And when the sister prayed and she referenced the message that he preached about the value of one, can I just reiterate, can I just say again about the value of one? And I don't know where you're at tonight and I don't know what road you're, head, you're heading down right now, but I want to tell you this. If I could be heading to some places that I don't even want to tell you what they did there when I wasn't normally there, but one day God would put his finger in my life and call me out of that miry clay and put my feet upon a rock and call me to minister and preach his word, not because there's anything good in me, but because there's something awesome in Jesus. Can somebody give him praise tonight? Come on. I know it's the fifth night of revival, but you got to give him praise tonight. Dig down on the inside of you. Give him a sacrifice of praise. Stand when you don't feel like standing. Shout when you don't feel like shouting. Clap your hands when they got calluses on them. He's good. He's God. He's worthy. He redeemed us. Sit down, sit down, sit down. How y'all doing? <laughs> it's a good night. Hey, if you're joining us on live stream, just type in there where you're from. We want to get to know you. We want to know where you're from. One more time, give them a big hand clap. We've been seeing all week. I've been joining in. 
I've been watching dozens and dozens of people chime in, hundreds of comments. People are being blessed all over the nation. Well, I grew up just down the road from here. Uh, I, I told the I told Mr. Freeman I didn't need a sweat rag, but I should have got something for the tears. Uh, I grew up a few miles down the road, Monongah, West Virginia. We got any Monongah folks in here, a few, few. I was the youngest of four kids. Uh, spent a lot of my childhood watching my brothers and sisters do things, and, and I was eagerly anticipating the day that I could, you know, quote, grow up or, or be big, and I'd be able to get to do the things that they did. I remember my, my brother had a bicycle, but I had a big wheel. Anyone ever, anyone else rock a big wheel when you was a little kid? Yeah, plastic thing. I had one of those. And then finally I got big enough to get a bicycle, but then he got a motorcycle. Like, man, I cannot, I can't catch up with him. And then my older siblings, they started, uh, they started getting jobs. And, uh, and I thought it was so cool because they had their own money and I couldn't wait to get a job. So at the age of 12, I started my own business. Age of 12. It's called a paper route. How many had one of those? And that was my first job. Man, I, would, uh, I had a Johnny Cash songbook, and I would stay up. I was trying to learn to play guitar, and I'd stay up all through the night playing those Johnny Cash songs until I'd hear the papers drop outside my window, and I knew it was time to deliver the papers. So I'd go out, and I'd grab. I'd get on my bicycle. I'd ride to Traction Park. I'd, I'd deliver that. I was doing same-day delivery. I was Amazon Prime before Amazon Prime was Amazon Prime. I just always wanted, always wanted to grow up. I always wanted to get, always wanted to get bigger. Most of us spend a lot of our childhood wanting to do things that would make us, quote, feel big. But ironically, now that we're grown, it's many of those same things we don't want to do. Work? Again? I did that last week. Drive? I drive all the time. You drive. Let me sleep once in a while and you drive. Stay up late? Are you kidding me? Do you know why we had to move the revival time to 6.30? Because by 9 o'clock, Pastor Robert's got to be in bed with his footy PJs on. Right? I mean, we don't want to stay up late anymore. The very things we wish for, now we often resent. There's this strange dichotomy within us that on one hand, we want to be big. We want to be powerful. We want to be in control of our lives. But on the other hand, there's a part of us that longs to know that, you know what? We're not the most powerful force in the world. There's a part of us that wants to feel small. That's why we go on vacation to the ocean. Some of us, we don't even get in. We got floppy hat. We got, we got the chair. We got the tent. Here we go, you know, <laughs> on down to the beach. You never even get in the water, but you will sit there for hours and look at that ocean. And what does that ocean do? Same thing all day long. Right? Waves come in, crash, it goes out. Same thing all day long. But you sit there and there is something good for your soul to see how big that is and to see how small you are. Some people say, well, I ain't into all that sand, preacher. Okay, but you go to the mountains for the same reason. You want to see the greatness of God. You want to see his, his creation. You want to feel small. Our, our daughter, my beautiful wife, Patty, and our, our youngest daughter, Mariah, is here tonight. And Mariah, her, her thing is she loves to go to the city. So we'll go to Pittsburgh, and we'll just walk up and down the streets and dodge bullets so she can look at big, tall buildings. <laughs> true story, true story. <laughs> You see, there's a part of us that wants to feel big. We want to feel powerful. We want to feel in control. But then there's a part of us that actually wants to feel small. You see, when we feel small, and perhaps only when we feel small, can we truly see the bigness or the greatness of our God. There's something good for our soul that happens when we feel small. And tonight I want to take a journey through Scripture and I want to look at a guy's life who went from being the biggest man in town to the smallest in one day. But through his suffering, he discovered something that we call, and every one of us, we need to discover this. And if you don't know it yet, you got to discover it. If you're going to follow Jesus, you need to understand the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. Let's go to the Old Testament. Let's look at the life of a man named Job. Job 1 and verse 1. Says there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. Now that's a pretty good description of a man, right? 
I mean, the Bible says the good, bad, and ugly, even about its supposed heroes. And so if the Bible says you're blameless, you're upright, you fear God and shun evil, Job is a pretty good fellow. Somebody say amen. All right, what else can we learn about Job? Look at verse 2. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. So Job had a big family. Here's something we can learn from, about Job. He's either Catholic or Mennonite. Come on, somebody. <laughs> or a marsh. <laughs> but he's a good dad. He is. He loves his kids. He's worried about their, their spiritual wel- welfare. Verse 3. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep. 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Job is a blameless man. He's got a big family, and and Job is loaded. He is the wealthiest man in, in the known world at this time, and his life seems to be going very, very well until one day his whole world crumbled. Job becomes the the target of an attack of Satan, and unimaginable pain enters his life. He receives four visits from four messengers, and each messenger just delivers devastating news. Messenger number one rolls in the door, and he says, Job, raiders have come in, and they've killed your servants, and they stole your oxen and your donkeys. They're gone. Before he could even finish, messenger number two, he comes in and he delivers news that fire had consumed all of Job's sheep and his shepherds. Before he was done, messenger number three now, he walks in. He says, Job, the Chaldeans have come and they've stolen your camels and they've killed the servants who were tending to them. And then finally, messenger number four walks to the door and he delivers the worst news of all. He says, Job, all of your kids... They were gathered over at your oldest son's house and a whirlwind came through, Job, and it destroyed the house and all of your kids have perished. Can you imagine? In one day, biggest man in town loses everything and everyone important to him. He's devastated. Now, I seriously doubt that any of us have experienced loss in the amount that Job has experienced, but we've all had a day. We've had a phone call, a text, a visit, a knock at the door that took our breath away. We've all had it. A job ended. An affair was revealed, a business closed, a house burned, there was a car wreck, there was a heart attack. You can remember your day right now. I can remember mine. I was 11 years old, 552 Pike Avenue, Monongah, West Virginia. It was a Saturday morning. A friend had stayed over that night. We stayed up late, so we were sleeping in, and I heard a scream. What in the world? I jump up out of bed and I run into the hallway and we had a phone that was attached to the wall. How many remember those days? And hanging from that phone, dangling was, was the earpiece. I didn't know what in the world was going on. I'm 11. I pick it up. It's a state trooper on the other end. She said, we regret to reform, uh, inform you that your 19-year-old brother's just been killed in a car accident. The reason the scream was because mom had answered the phone first, and when she heard the news, she, she just dropped it and ran. Our day turned into a series of days, turned into a series of months and years. Life was never the same. Your day might not be like my day, but you've had a day where the worst pain you've ever imagined became your reality. That's where Job is. And as I reread his story again this week, I was, I was amazed at Job's response. Look at verse 20. Imagine what he's just heard. Now look at, at verse 20. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and worshiped. What? How, how can this be? 
Job is experiencing the most devastating loss that anyone can ever experience. And he, he falls to his knees and he worships. I try to be a godly man, but I ain't there. You see, when we talk about all the things we want to be and have when we grow up, Job is the picture of that. He's wealthy. He's powerful. He's the greatest man in his world. Yet in one moment, he is made small. And look at what he says in verse 21. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The songs that have come from this man's pain. Thousands of years later, we still sing songs that get their inspiration from this one moment of worship. Verse 22 says, in all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. He's a broken man. But his response is, blessed be the name of the Lord. Perhaps Job knows something about suffering, about pain, about worship, and about faith that we just don't know. You see, often we measure the goodness of God by the amount of comfort and pleasure in our lives. But for Job, Job is using an entirely different measuring stick. And Job feels that God owes him nothing. Man, wouldn't that be a lesson for for the modern day culture to get, right? We're living in a world that we think that we're an entitlement generation. We think the world owes us everything and Job loses it all. And in that moment, he bows and he worships and he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. God, you've been good to me. You didn't owe me anything. Does anybody else feel that tonight? Listen, I've never done a thing to earn the blessing or the favor or the goodness of God. You know what I am? You know what you are? You are a trophy of his grace. God didn't look at you one day and go, oh, isn't she lovely? God didn't look at you, brother, and say, isn't he wonderful? No, God looked at you and said, you know what? I think I'll love him. I think I'll love her. I think I'll love him. I'm going to bless them, not because they're good, but because I'm good. Come on, somebody praise him for his goodness. America needs to know that God owes us nothing. Say, oh Lord, I wish the Lord would bless us again. He's already blessed us. We need to hit our knees and bless him. Job's pain drives him to worship, and he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. His trials continue, and just when you think things couldn't get worse, Satan turns the attack to Job's physical body. Job is afflicted with painful boils, the Bible says, from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. And just to get some relief, he takes a plate and he breaks it and he begins to just scrape and scratch at those boils. On top of all of this suffering, he doesn't have the support he needs. And even his own wife says that to him in Job 2 and verse 9. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Can you imagine the only person left for you to lean on? It's your wife and her instruction to you is curse God and die. But look at what Job says, verse 10. But he said to her, and guys, if your wife is on you saying, hey, you need to be the spiritual leader of our house. You need to memorize some scriptures right here. I got you. Look at what Job says to her. You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. <laughs> I, I got this one in my heart. I use it on my wife all the time. <laughs> Watch what he says. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? Wow. That's a question we probably all ought to ask ourselves. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. We don't have time to cover his whole story tonight, but I'm going to summarize. As we move into Job chapter 3, Job goes into a deep, dark depression. Understandably so. His, his loss, his grief has overtaken him. 
He does have some friends that show up to comfort him, and in the beginning, they're just there. They give him the ministry of presence. And listen, the ministry of presence is something that every Christian ought to know. It ought to to know how to operate in the ministry of of presence. Because sometimes when tragedy hits a friend's life or a family member's life, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. And, And so often what we do is nothing. And we just ignore them and let them suffer on their own. Listen, if somebody is hurting that you love, just go. Just be there. You don't have to have answers. You don't have to have words of wisdom. Just give them the ministry of presence. And that's what they do in the beginning. But before long, one by one, each of his friends begins to tell him why he is suffering. They begin to offer sin suggestions. Can you imagine? Well, brother, I didn't want to say anything in the beginning. But the reason you lost your goats was because you was in sin. They literally, just one by one, began to offer him sin suggestions. Can you imagine that? In his time of grief, in his time of need. Church, never do this. When a friend is suffering, shut your mouth, open your arms, and take them a pot of soup. Right? Never speculate as to why someone might be suffering. They don't need your speculation. They need you. They need a hug, and they need some chili. Somebody say amen. Chili can be powerful in a moment of grief. So Job is tormented by his supposed comforters. Darkness surrounds his life. And from chapter 3 to chapter 37, God is silent. Have you ever went through a chapter in your life where it felt like God was silent? I have. You might be in one right now. But I want to remind you tonight as we read the text, just because God is silent does not mean that God is absent. And there are going to be some chapters in our lives that make us wonder where God is. But his promise to us is that he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And if you're living through a silent chapter right now, never mistake his silence for his absence because his word tells us he is our very present help in our time of trouble. Finally, in chapter 38, God shows up and he responds to Job. You see, after all Job's suffering, he begins to question God and he demands, he says, if God was here, I would would have a conversation with Almighty God right now. And he gets one, but it does not go the way Job expects it to go. Look at verse, or look at chapter 38 with me in verse one. It says, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. We read about all the things Job lost. Of all the things Job lost, what do you think had to be the most painful for him? His children, right? What was it that took the life of his children? A whirlwind. God speaks to him out of the whirlwind. If we could just, if we could just understand that sometimes God will use our greatest area of pain to speak the most clearly and directly to us. It's not always it's not always on the high night of revival that God speaks to us. It's not always in the shout that God speaks to us. Sometimes it's in our area of our greatest pain that he speaks. And God, out of the whirlwind, the same thing that took the lives of his kids, God speaks to him and he says, look at this, verse 2, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? God says, Job, you've questioned me with words, but you don't even know what you're talking about. He said, you're questioning me without knowledge, Job. You don't know what you're even asking. Now look at verse 3. Now prepare yourself like a man. God reminds Job he's just a man. Prepare yourself like a man and I will question you and you will answer me. Yikes! Can you imagine God saying that to you? I get get goosebumps on the back of my neck and he just said it to Job. He didn't say it to me. God Almighty coming to you and says, listen up, big boy. I'm going to ask you some questions. Now, you've been asking me. I'm going to ask you some questions. Prepare yourself, big boy. Here we go. And verse 4, God speaks. Where were you 
When I laid the foundations of the earth, tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements, Job? Surely you know. Who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Job, what holds this world in place so it doesn't spin out of control? Job, if you know, tell me. Who laid its cornerstone? Verse 7, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, where were you, Job? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, when I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors, when I said this far you may come but no farther, and here your proud waves must stop. Verse 12, have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place. He's saying, Job, at what point in your life did you start waking up and telling the sun to rise, Job? Were you born with that superpower or did that superpower come along when you hit puberty, Job? Tell me. Have your kids, sometimes my kids will come in and they'll forget that I'm the parent and they're the child. You've had this. You've had this. Sometimes one of my kids, and when they come in, when they come in, they don't come in when they're in this mood. They don't come in with their head down like this. They come in cocky, just strolling across there, and they make it, Dad, I'm like, what? You owe me four bucks. (laughs) What? Yeah, Dad, you owe me four bucks. Well, tell me, how do I owe you four bucks? Well, me and mom was at the store and she forgot her debit card and we needed milk and bread and I had $4 in my pocket and I pulled them out and I gave them to her. So now you owe me four bucks. Anyone's kids ever do stuff like this? You know what you got to do? You got to go Old Testament on them. Here's what I do. I go, where were you when I paid the mortgage this month? Where were you when the car payment was due? Where were you when the taxes were due? Where were you when we spent $1,000 on ice cream this summer, you? Sometimes you got to go Old Testament. You say, Pastor, we're New Testament. Sometimes you got to go Old Testament on your kids. Somebody say amen. God is not trying to humiliate Job. But God is trying to help him remember who's God and who's the man. And he continues, verse 16, Job, have you entered the springs of the sea or have you walked in search of its depths? God says, Job, have you walked the ocean floor? Because I have, Job. Verse 17, have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the breadth of the earth? Tell me, Job, if you know all of this, do what God is doing. He is reminding Job that God alone is God alone. He is reminding Job that Job is merely a man and God proceeds to ask him questions. He asks him anywhere from 40 to 80 questions on everything from the sun and the stars to the oceans and just for good measure, he throws in a question about the birthing habits of mountain goats. (laughs) I kid you not, it's in there. But why? Friends, Here's what I want us to take away from the text tonight. Job has spent 34 chapters questioning God about the suffering in his life, and God responds not with an explanation, but some questions of his own. He knows that Job can't answer these questions, but through them, God is revealing himself as the sovereign Lord over everything. I don't know about you, but over these past two years, I have felt like the world has gone totally crazy. Anybody else in the house? Just crazy. It's like, it's like somebody started walking toward the edge of a cliff and people just started joining in. And, and they're like, hey, man, where are we going? They're like, I don't know. I just saw a bunch of people walking, so I started walking. And I'm over here saying, hey, maybe we ought to ask where we're walking. 
Right? Maybe we ought to ask some questions here. It's like the world has just gone out of control. But this week, as I reread Job's story and God and how he responds to it, I'm pleasantly just reminded of the sovereignty of our God. I said, Pastor, what does that mean? We don't use the word sovereign much in our day-to-day language. And no, no, we don't. But when we say that God is sovereign, what we are saying is that God is Lord over all. I'm going to say that again. He is Lord over all. All means all. So right now, even though the world looks like it's in chaos, it is still under his ultimate control. We just happen to be living through a time in which God is allowing us to see how small we really are. As I watch the world try to respond to this pandemic, I am reminded of just how powerless we are. Oh, we wear masks and we wash our hands and we social distance and I'm not opposed to those things, but we've not been able to stop this virus. We shame one another. We blame one another. We follow the science and we virtue signal, but yet the virus rages on. We were told the vaccine would be the answer, but yet now we know at its best it will minimize your symptoms. You can still get the virus. You can still transmit the virus even after vaccination. The point of my message tonight is not to take a position on the vaccine. The point of my message to say is that we are not nearly as smart or as powerful as we think we are. You might remember just in the headlines a few months ago, we've seen the U.S. military, the strongest fighting force on the planet, find ourselves in a situation where we had to ask permission of terrorists to evacuate our own citizens from Afghanistan. Friends, my point tonight is to get us to see how small we really are, but in the same breath, realize how big our God is. And there is nothing happening on this planet right now that is not under the ultimate authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that God causes our suffering, but I do want to remind somebody who's filled with worry tonight. I want to talk to somebody whose anxiety is through the roof. I want to talk to somebody who is stressed out, and I want to say to you, yes, this world is in chaos, but it's not out of control. COVID is real, but it does not rule. War is real, but it does not rule. Fear is real, but it does not rule. Politicians are real, unfortunately, but they do not have the ultimate control because God God will even use their chaos to accomplish his will. You know what our problem is? Our problem is the man upstairs syndrome. Man, we call God the man upstairs. And when we call God the man upstairs, what we're saying is we think God is just a little bit stronger than us. We think God is just a little bit smarter than us. We think God just has a little bit more wisdom than us. But I want to remind somebody tonight that God is not a man and he does not live in your attic. He is God all by himself. He spoke the earth into the existence that grew the trees that you built your stairs with. And today he don't live in your attic, but he sits on a throne in the heavens and the earth is his footstool. He's God. Come on, I know it's a fifth night of revival. Give him some praise tonight. He is God all by himself. He rules and he reigns. You see, some of us are so stressed out right now because of what we see in the news, because of what we see on social media. But I I just want to remind you that God does some of his most beautiful work in seasons seem out of control. Pastor Robert, since we cried, this is a week to be honest and vulnerable, and I, I hope it's not just happening from the pulpit. I hope it's happening in your seat. I hope it's happening in your heart. But one of the hardest things about this pandemic for me when it started was, is I was addicted to control. I didn't know it, but I was. I lead a church. I lead an organization. I get to make decisions. I get to call shots. And I was addicted to control. 
And when government stepped in and started saying, no, big boy, you ain't going to call shots. You think you're going to meet Sunday? You think you're going to draw a crowd? No, you ain't. You can't do that. I started seeing everything I'd been working for for 14 years. I started feeling like it was crumbling. And it wasn't crumbling. I was just giving up control. And God has used this pandemic to show me that he's God. And you know what happened through the pandemic? God continued to bless. And when there were times I thought, God, are people, are people going to give? God said, oh, yeah, people are going to give. But they ain't going to give because you're a good preacher. They're going to give because I'm a good God. Do you hear me? We were, we were trying to build a new building in the middle of a pandemic. I said, God, we're, we're gonna, it's going to look like a, a shame. It's going to look like a disgrace. We're going to have to stop this thing in the middle of it. And God said, oh, no, you ain't going to stop it. I'm going to keep building this. I said that I would build my church in the gates of hell, would not prevail against it. And you know what God did? He not only built the thing, but he paid it off in less than two years. He's... The more, the more control God took out of my hands, the more he blessed us. I want to talk to somebody tonight. And you feel like your, your life maybe is in chaos. you got no peace. You are stressed out. You are filled with anxiety. And I just want to let you know that God does some of his best work in seasons of chaos. I think back... To a night many years ago, there was a prayer meeting in a garden. And a man named Judas showed up with some armed soldiers and told him, the one I kiss on the cheek, that's the Christ. Take him into custody. And that one kiss was like our one phone call, was like our one text, was like that one knock at the door. It was like that one messenger. The one kiss seemed to unleash the forces of darkness and Jesus was taken into custody. He was falsely accused. He was beaten. He was whipped. And, you know, they crucified him. And in that hour, even he cried out to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On that day, the skies darkened and his mother watched in horror and his followers hid in fear, fearing they would be next. Friends, on that Friday, it appeared like the world was in chaos, like the world was out of control. It looked like God was dead on Friday, but on Sunday. Come on, somebody. There was a rumbling in the tomb and the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Glory, was about to prove to the world that there is nothing outside of his authority, not even death itself. And on that day, the Roman torture rack became the old rugged cross, a sign of the redeeming power of our God. My point tonight is, is our God, the sovereign God, does some of his best work in a time of chaos. Theologians, can I get you all up here? Theologians have defined the sovereignty of God in many ways. But I'm a simple man from right here in these hills. Best way I can understand the sovereignty of God is spoken through the words of a song I learned when I was five years old at Swisher Hill Union Mission Church. Reverend Dean is the pastor. This is a song we learned. Sister Sabrina on the piano taught us. He's got the whole world in his hands. 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 Somebody needs to turn off the news this week. Get up out of your recliner. Get some help if you need it. And start walking around your house. And saying he's got the whole world. In his hands he's got the whole wide world. In his hands he's got the whole Somebody needs to unplug from social media. Get totally off of it because it's stealing your peace. And instead say, in his hands he's got the whole world. 
Somebody else needs to look at that impossible situation that you're looking at right now and start prophesying this song to your situation. He's got the whole world. If Job can trust him, you can trust him. If Jesus could trust him to pull him out of that grave, you can trust him. When God was done questioning Job, Job didn't get his answer. But he also didn't need one. Because this is the way he concludes Job 42 and verse 1 and 2. God gave him, remember, somewhere, depending on how you read it, maybe up to 90 questions God fired at Job. Job had no response except this. Job 42, 1 and 2. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. Job's conclusion was, he's got the whole world. That was his conclusion. Listen, I know this is service five or six. I don't know, I lose count. I know you've been to the altar a bunch of times probably. Here's who I want to pray for tonight. The person who needs peace. Okay, you have, you have, you've looked at the world that's out of control. You've looked at your life that feels out of control. you felt things slipping from your, from your hands, slipping through the ground. You're like, oh, you're holding on, you're grasping, and, and your options have disappeared, and you just feel like, you know what, where is God in all this? If you're here tonight, and you just need the peace of God, you just need a fresh touch of the peace of God, would you just come down tonight and let us, let us pray? Let us pray. Let's pray together. fresh touch of his peace. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are Lord over all. And because you are, you can be trusted. And there are things and there are situations that we feel like we can't do anything about. somebody in your seat, why don't you just come behind each of these who are kneeling right now. Just come behind them and pray with them as your, as your, your brother, your sister, your church family. Father, we have many of us who struggle. God, we're struggling with anxiety. This week you have, you have stripped back so many things and and you have invited us into a place of vulnerability and, and tears have flowed from this platform and from this pulpit, God. But I believe they're, they're tears of healing, Father. I believe we're trading some stuff in this week and we're trading in some fear and we're trading in some anxiety, God, and you're replacing it with peace. Father, would you touch all those who are reaching out and would you just give them a fresh, fresh touch of your peace tonight. The peace of God that surpasses our understanding, God, that swallows up all fear, that touches anxiety and heals bodies and heals broken hearts and heals minds, Lord God. Sweep over this church. God, touch those who are watching online. Maybe there's some even, even tonight that they're not here because their anxiety is, is, is off the charts. They can't even get out of the house, God. It's, it's held them in their homes. Lord, would you touch them? There's no distance tonight. Your Holy Spirit, Father, can touch them right there in their homes, Lord. Would you do an incredible work? Would you break every shackle of fear and shame and anxiety off of them now? God, we thank you. We bless you.
He's got the whole world in his hands. 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 Come on, lift our hands. Let's sing the song we learned as kids. He's got the whole in his hands. 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 Tonight, we ask people to come forward who needed the peace of God. But there's another peace that the Bible talks about, and it's peace with God. You see, before I knew Jesus, I was at enmity with God. I was an enemy of God, and I didn't even know it. My sin had separated me from him. And even though he had died for me and and he paid the price for my sin, I was living like none of that was true. I was doing my own thing, making my own decisions, calling my own shots and making a mess of it all. Can anybody else say amen? But one day I realized that he died to give me peace with God. That someone that was so far from God and made so many mistakes and chose so many sins. I was a sinner by birth and I was a sinner by choice. Jesus paid for all of those so I could have peace with God and I could become his child. If you're here tonight, I know there have been altar calls given. Maybe this is your first time, or or maybe you've been here and you've been thinking about it this week, but you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I beg of you, before you leave this building, receive peace with God. Can we bow our heads? Can we pray? I want you to just focus on the Lord. I don't know everybody in the building tonight, and we might all be Christians, but if you're here and you've never taken the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and made it personal in your life, if you've never repented of your sin and repented of your past and and said yes to Jesus, I want to be yours, I want to know you, I want to live for you, I want to do life with you, if you need to be cleansed of your sin, would you just raise your hand and say, yes, I want to be saved. Tonight, I need to be saved. I see you reaching out to him tonight. Come on, give a, give a hand for those who are making that declaration of faith tonight. Keep your hand up there for just a minute. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters right now. Let's pray for them. Father, we come. And we thank you, Lord, that you are a good God. You forgive every sin, Lord. You paid the price for every single one of us. And I pray for those who are reaching out and maybe for the first time tonight, they want to begin that relationship or maybe they need to renew it because they've been away from you for a while and they need to come back to the Father. They need to come back home. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who've responded. I pray that tonight would be a significant night in their lives, Lord, that your hand would be upon them, that you would draw them closer to you. If they live here close, I pray you'd plant them right here in Jewel City Church and you'd surround them with men and women who would love on them, help disciple them, help train them for use in your kingdom, God. We thank you for new life. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Everybody shout amen and give God one more hand clap of praise. He's good and he's worthy. Pastor, you want to say anything else? Yes, amen. Sing a little something, would you please? Let's close like we've been doing, right around the altar, down the aisles. Can we do that?
Pray this out loud, Lord Jesus, tonight, I have humbled myself, and I acknowledge that I'm small, but God, you are so big. Lord, I acknowledge that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory, and tonight, I ask you to forgive me. And Lord, I repent of my sins. And from this day forward, I will do my best to live my life for you. Now, if you just prayed that prayer, you have been born again. The Spirit of God lives within inside of you. But by no means is this the end. This is the beginning. I want to share something real quick and then we'll go home. I was in here early this morning praying and I wasn't praying for any of you. I was praying for myself. Just being honest with you. And in the spirit, I could hear the Lord say, you know, we've had three pastors this week. When you get hungry, you need to eat. And I've been hungry. And I needed to eat. And I needed to be fed. And in the spirit, I heard the Lord say to me, you know, he's fed people with a raven. He said to me, I brought you breakfast. I brought you lunch. And I've brought you dinner. Three different preachers this week. I don't know which order. I don't know which one was breakfast. I thought he was going to say I was a snack. <laughs> I'm, being, I'm being dead serious. He fed me. He's fed me. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's all been good, hasn't it? It's all been good. Thanks for listening to the Jewel City Podcast. If you're not already subscribed, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. Share it with your friends, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and subscribe on YouTube.